I appreciate, again, I, I tell you that often, I appreciate you being here, but it's a lot better with you here. And uh, Sherry and I have got some family members strewn throughout the uh, church. I've got them scattered place throughout the, the building. I put my glasses on, can't see everybody, but um, I am going to do one little thing just a little bit uh, different, though. I'm going to let Amber bring me my little buddy Declan for just a second, because I want to take a moment to talk about a moment in the Brown family. Every now and then, you need to testify of the goodness of God in the hands of God. And so, I'll just take him real quick. This is a big boy, let me tell you, <laughs> on a little lady. So, this is mine and Sherry's grandson. This is Lath and Amber Massey's firstborn baby boy. His name is Declan Lee. Declan means a man of prayer. And Declan was born a giant child. But something, somewhere along the line, for the first three months of his life, he just was not putting on weight. And after, how many weeks was it? Wasn't it like close to 12 weeks? He was, he was still at his birth weight and, and dropping. And he was about to be hospitalized. And so I called Amber one day while I'd been in prayer at church. I said, I want y'all, you and Leith, to bring Declan to, the church, to mine and mom's, and we're going to have dinner, and we're going to invite Shane and Candace. And the reason why we're tied together is because me and Shane and Leith have turkey hunted together. And uh, so I knew that there was a connection there. And so we're going to have dinner, and then we're going to pray the prayer of faith. And we're going to anoint him with oil. How many of you know sometimes miracles don't have to take place at the front of this assembly? And so we, we, we had the dinner, and we were get, uh, before the parishes left, we, we anointed him with oil. And in that moment of time, let me tell you, you can pray, but what you need is the anointing. It's part of my sermon today. And it doesn't matter who is anointed as long as somebody is anointed to get a hold of God. And at that moment, the Spirit of God fell on Shane. And we kind of all just stood in the backdrop and gave that supported prayer as he prayed the prayer of faith over him. And the power and the presence of God was right there in our kitchen because that's where we're at. And it probably wasn't olive oil. It might have been peanut oil. You never know. Who knows? We might have taken what we had or I might have brought oil from church. I can't remember. But it wasn't in the oil. It was in faith. We'll get that cleared up. And so that's just the Lord calling down saying, man, I got it. I, I, got, I got you. And uh, God has answered that prayer, and he has not stopped growing since. And I carried him across the yard yesterday. And I said, I do not know how Amber does this all day long with this child on her arm and hip. So we, give, we want to make God famous. Amen. Come on. I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 21. A couple things real quickly as you're turning there. Um, during the COVID and everything, a little bit different with our offering. A lot of people go online and give. We also have offering containers in the, in the foyer, a secure offering container. You can place an offering if you brought a tithe or offering and present that to the Lord. Number two, if you're a visitor and you haven't filled out a visitor card, there still should be one in the seat in front of you. If not, I know there's one on the foyer table. We would really like to have a record of your visit with us today. And number three is that if you get a chance at the end of the service to say, God bless you to our own sister Kim Johnson. And she is making a, a giant move in her life. 
and uh, be moving out of state. This is her last Sunday morning with us. She should possibly might be here Wednesday night. Might see her at that time, but if you just in case you don't get a chance to hug, whatever allow, whatever kind of hugging you can get by with right now, you just say God bless you, and we're praying for Kim for this new journey of faith in her life. Amen. Won't y'all stand up with me today? And we're going to go to Second Samuel chapter number twenty-one. You probably already found it. I'm just now turning there. Verses fifteen through twenty-two is where we're going to be today. It's just as the context. It's to set the context for us. And let's just read this. Now, let, let me go ahead and give you a, 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 just a, a way for me to, to, I don't know what the right word is, to cop out. There's some names here in a moment of time that I cannot promise you that I'm going to pronounce them correctly. Now, I'm going to guess that the majority of us in here cannot pronounce them correctly either. But there may be a Hebrew Greek scholar among us today that blogs tonight. I went to the Hillbilly Church today, and this brother butchered these names. And so I'm just telling you in advance, I know that. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines, and David waxed faint. I'll tell you what, when you're, when you're fatigued in your warfare, it's good to have good people around you. And Ishbah Benob, have you ever used that in your everyday language? He said, man, I was working with O Ishbah Benob today, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight. He being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, secured him, which means to help, he helped him. And smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. And then Sebekahiah, the Hushahite, the Hushahite, slew Seth, which is one of the sons of the giant. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines, where Elhanah, the son of Jair Orajim, I know you're thinking, Pastor, why would you choose such a difficult passage of Scripture? Well, it's important. A Bethlehemite slew the brother of Goliath the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. So that's just the brief narrative there. There was yet a battle in Gath where was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers and on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number. And he also was born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants." And so today, again, as I started in our opening, that joining with part of our lesson on Wednesday night, I want to talk to you from this thought, giants will fall. So I want you to get as spiritually minded as you can. I know you've got a busy weekend, but let's believe that God has brought us together and he's put this word in my heart to help you because giants are still in the land. If you don't believe that, you will here in a, a few short minutes. There's still giants in the land, and we still need men and women with giant conquering faith. 
to be able to engage the enemy and know that with God, all things are possible. So let's pray. Father of heaven, thank you for this group of men and women. Some are visitors that have come out. Join with family members, some for the very first time, who might be a little bit of apprehensive uh, about being in a spirit-filled service, God. Help all of us to put our, Father, our walls down and just hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let every man, woman, boy, and girl, Father, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Now, I want to make a couple of statements. We're going to get into the context here, especially on Wednesday nights, many years ago, or several years ago, we did a study called Windows into the Bible by Dr. Mark Turnage, and I've shared this on numerous occasions that he taught a principle that he believed was very important for you in the study of Scripture, and that is that you look at the Scriptures through certain lens. And as you look at the scriptures through certain lens, you don't just look at it from a spiritual lens. That's the ultimate goal is to gain spiritual truth, isn't it? But at the same time, sometimes you have to look at it through the historical lens or the geographical lens. Or he even mentioned the spatial lens, which that would be the flora and the fauna that is tied to the particularities of the, 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 the context of the land of Israel most exclusively. And so that really helped me in my study of scriptures to broaden. And as I broadened, I found myself seeing more. When I could see more, then as I noticed something I hadn't uh, previously seen in the Word of God, now I could then dig it out deeper until I could get the spiritual truth that I was in pursuit of. Because the Bible says deep calls to deep, and God is spirit, and his word is living. And if you're born again, there is something inside of you that yearns. It's the nourishment for your soul. It's that part of you that gives you the strength to be able to go forward. And that's in your personal study, that's in your reading, but it's also in your hearing the word of God. And that's why God's put this thing all together as a way that pleases him. He brings his people together, and he anoints a man or a woman of God, and he reveals certain things to them to speak to you so that you can hear the word and it can build faith in your heart because Romans 10 and 7, 10 says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Paul said, what is it? What type of word do we have? We have the word of faith. So I want you to know today that giants will fall if you believe, right? If you believe, and we're going to get into the scriptures. So I wrote this down, a question. What do you really believe about the Scriptures? Can I hold them up real quickly? How many of you have them on the phone today? And we do a pretty good job, of put, a very good job, excuse me. I didn't mean it as a reflecting the booth, but we, we put a part of, the, of my text on the, on the screen. But what we have here is the Word of God. We call it the Scriptures. The word Scripture in the original language means holy writ. What do you believe about the Scriptures? We live in a generation that is fulfilling the prophetic word of Peter when he closed his second epistle when he said they rest the Scriptures. A generation would rest or twist the Scriptures to make them or to contour them to anything that they want rather than the intention of what was in the heart and the mind of God. Listen, the Scriptures are here because God breathed them. Through holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 
and a, and, and, a, and a scribe heard the prophetic word and wrote it down. That's how the majority of time the word was given. It wasn't that someone just sat down in a lone room and began to write the text. It was an oracle, it was an unction, an anointing that was in the heart of a speaker. He spoke them and then a scribe scripted them. So what do you believe? Do you believe they're fable? Do you believe they're legends? Do you believe they're mystical or that they are a fantasy? Or do you believe, as I do, that they're actual, factual, and historical? Now, I'm not saying that there's not fables in the Word of God. There are times that an author taught a fable to teach a spiritual truth. We call often that times parables. We know that there are some times where there are, are uh, different ways and means where a, st- a story could be told to teach a spiritual truth. But the context reveals when it's a fable. But it's the, my belief that the scriptures, unless otherwise noted, they are actual and they are factual because they are historical. These events really happened. You know, you can sit down with your children or your grandchildren at night and you can say, well, go get a book and you can read all kinds of books that are fables or stories and everything. But let me tell you, when you turn to a story in the Word of God, you're turning to an actual historical record where many times it was an eyewitness account that someone actually gave their eyewitness testimony of what they saw and heard on that day. Here's what Paul said, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable. It's profitable for you in your life and every area of your life so that you are thoroughly prepared for every good work because there are times that there are giants in your life or in your land and you need to have a word of faith that yes, giants will fall. All right, now, the study of Joshua reveals that there were giants in the land during the time of the conquest. We were talking about it briefly on Wednesday, and I'll give you just a little bit of historical background today. We're not just going to be historical, and we're not going to just be geographical, but we're going to be spiritual here in a few moments in the, in, the, in the closing of this message. But I want you to see the actual record of these giants, because that's something that you, you can look at, and there are those that write about this, that don't believe. There are those that have more of a, of a liberal uh, training in Scripture, and, and, and they, they don't believe. They believe these are, act, these are actual fans fantasies or legends, but I believe it as according to the scripture, it's written the way it is because it was a true historical fact. The Bible talks about the son of Anak, Anak that his sons or his descendants were called the Anakim. And some in, script, in, in, in an attempt to take away from a supernatural element have accredited the giants that I'm going to be talking about to people that were six foot five or so. That would mean there are several giants among us. If that's the case, because they say the Israelites are on average of between five foot and five and a half feet, so a six and a half. But I'm, I want you to know that when you read the Word of God, Goliath's height is listed as six cubits in a span, which according to the length uh, uh, that day, that would make him nine foot, nine inches tall. We mentioned on Wednesday night that Og, the king of Bashan, was lifted as, listed as a remnant of the giant. And his bedstead was 13 feet. Now, I don't know why you think a six-foot man needs a 13-foot bed. But the Bible calls him a giant. Now, many times the giants were not cumbersome behemoths that you might think about, you know, like uh, the jolly green giant. But these were actual warriors. They were mighty men. They had become men of renown. 
they were champions. In the original language in the Hebrew, if you'll study this out or if you'll glean from other people's studies, you'll find that, that when it talked about Goliath being a champion, he might have been more than just a warring champion like he was in the army and he was one of the best warriors in the army. It means actually that he was most likely the king. So the narrative of, king, of David and Goliath, you actually see the anointed one day king of Israel fighting the king of the Philistines in the valley of Ella. And so the scriptural narrative also tells us that they were trained for war, they were idolatrous, but they were also pagan. They were followers of occultic practices, and they lived their lives in the detestable practices of the Canaanites. Now, the origin of the giants in the land is found in Genesis chapter 6, verse number 4. And I think they're going to put that on the screen for us. And I want you to see this, if not turn to. I want you to see this because if you take the time to study this out, the word giants plural, in a, plural, a plurality is actually mentioned, I believe, 17 times in the Scripture. But the, this particular word giants here is recorded from one particular Hebrew word only two times in Genesis 6 and then also in the book of Numbers because there's an association that the writer is making with the giants of Genesis 6 and also of the giants that are in the land during the, the, the conquest. This is, pre, uh, this is pre-flood. If we were to read the rest of the chapter in chapter 6, this is where God uh, raises up Noah to build the ark. It says there were giants in the earth in those days. But notice those other four words, and also after that. So the writer, by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, is telling us that in the days of Noah, there were giants in the land. But also after that, and we believe the after that is the record in the book of Numbers and also what would happen in in Joshua and also later in the text that we read. But where did these giants come from? Now, many believe, but not all, it's not exclusive, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men. The term sons of God in the King James Bible oftentimes refers to angelic beings. So it is the held belief by many in the, in the biblical scholar uh, arena uh, that these were actual fallen angels. When, how did they fall through this act of disobedience? They came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children unto them. They, the same, became mighty men were of old, men of renown. And it is the belief that that's where the giants came into the earth, but they were also after that. We'll talk about that in just a moment of time. Now, again, obviously the interpretation of the passage is controversial, but it is the consensus of of so many scholars that the giants were the offspring of angels fallen by transgression. You can actually find a brief reference to this in Peter's writing and in Jude's writing in the New Testament, for they both say this about angels, angels that sin, they write. They also say the angels kept not their first estate or the angels who left their own habitation. So it is believed that that was the act of rebellion against God when they through some type of lust began to desire the daughters of men came in unto them and bare children. Now remember, if you want to look at the other side of that story, there are those that believe that entirely different. But from my perspective today, that's how I'm going to share it with you. Now that was pre-flood. The passage that we were in later is post-flood where we see either through the continued sin of angels or as I mentioned on Wednesday night, you say, well, Pastor, if that was through the, that transgression of the angels pre-flood, then how did they, were they in the land post-flood? Well, there were three reasons why. We won't mention the first. The second is, is that some believe that the angels continued to sin. 
Number two, though, most in my personal opinion, most possible, is that it was in the DNA the, the, because the angels had gone into the daughters of men. It wasn't just one, but there, there was more than one, and it produced a lineage that God brought uh, destruction on in the days of the flood of Noah, but it's possible that the DNA was in the wives of Noah's sons as, he, as, they, as they had children in their DNA, you could have the DNA of the giants. Now, you can study that all out on your own. I can't give you any. All I can tell you is the Bible said that there were giants in the land prior to the flood, and there were giants in the land after the flood. That's, that's, that's the heart of it. So it's a, it's a, the, the giants in the land are a part of the original stumbling block of unbelief of ancient Israel. And that's found in Numbers 13. I think we are going to go there because I wanted to tie these two together. Did I give you that text, Michael, uh, in Numbers chapter 13? If I didn't, I can go ahead and read it. But I think I did. This is when Moses has sent the 12 spies. We talked about it Wednesday night. But I'm going to take you somewhere in a minute, but I want you to see this. We've got to build a background. So when the spies came back, after searching the land, and you know that there were two that, that had faith, but ten that were bound in unbelief. Well, what caused them to stumble? The men that went up with, with him, being Caleb, said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Verse 32, let's read that one. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they searched out the children of, land, uh, of the land, saying, The land... We've gone to search it. It's a land that eats up the inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. So they saw men of great stature. It intimidated the spies. They sowed the sin of unbelief amongst the people. And the heart of the people waxed uh, faint uh, in the thoughts of facing the giants. And so those giants are mentioned in an association with the original giants of Genesis 6. The possibilities of the offspring of angels. But 40 years later, I'm not preaching the Exodus today, 40 years later when the wilderness journey is complete and the children of Israel are about to now take possession of the land and the men that died in unbelief, their carcasses, the Bible said, have fallen in the wilderness. Moses is charging a new generation. And I wrote it this way in my notes and I want to say it this way to you. Often to establish God's kingdom in the earth, one generation has to succeed where a previous generation failed. You might be looking at your own life, and your own life may be filled as you look back into your heritage. Maybe you, are not, uh, you weren't in a blessed, godly heritage, and there's nothing but, but turmoil and brokenness. Well, you know what? Somebody needs to rise up. Somebody needs to rise up and get a hold of God and say, we're going to live life differently from this day forward. And the giants that my fathers and grandfathers and my lineage and my family bowed before in fear, I'm going to whip my sword because a new generation filled with the Spirit of God is in the earth. Man, I'm preaching way better than you are shouting today. And I'm telling you, somebody needs to hear what I'm saying because giants will fall if you believe. Now, let's look at this just a little bit farther. Deuteronomy chapter number 9. Did I give you all that one too? I, I didn't write down. There it is. Good job. And a, this is what Moses said. Here's what Moses, right before he passes the baton off to Joshua, he's saying there's a people great and tall. You know that. You remember them. It's the children of Anakim, whom you know and of whom you've heard say. Here's what people have said about them. Who can stand before the children of Anak? That's a great question, isn't it? Because it intimidated an entire generation of people. A generation that had, 
a great expectation of entering the promised land, but failed in unbelief. And so Moses said, let me tell you who can stand before him. I'll tell you who can stand. Understand this day that the Lord your God is going to go before you. And he's going to be a consuming fire, and he's going to destroy them. And he's going to bring them down before your face, and you're going to drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord God said unto you. Let me go ahead and tell you and let you in on this today. If God said it, you can believe it. If God has written it in his word, it's a promise to you and your family, and it gets down in your spirit, then God will uphold his side of the bargain. Joshua tells us in Joshua 11, 21, and 22, that Joshua cut off the Anakim, which were the sons of the giants. And then there was none left in the land except for those who took refuge in the cities of the Philistines. Read that on your own. It's in Joshua 11, verses 21 and 22. So when Joshua cut them off, they fled and took refuge in the three, uh, three primary cities of the Philistines. Joshua 15 and 14, though, if you were with us Wednesday night, you understand that when Joshua, when Joshua gave Caleb his inheritance as promised by Moses, that it was the Anakim, the sons of Anak, that were still in the land. And for Caleb to be able to take the land, he was going to have to, he was going to, have to draw sword and believe God and believe the promise that had been made to the children of Israel many years earlier. So God had pronounced the giants. I want you to hear this real quickly. He had pronounced the giants and the inhabitants of Canaan land as detestable. What does that mean, Pastor? That means that God... How many of you know if God says it's detestable, it's detestable? I don't care how much religion can pretty it up. If God says it's abominable, it's abominable. If God says it's an abomination, it's an abomination. Hello now. You know I could go a lot of different directions with that. But God had said that the inhabitants, including the giants of Canaan's land, are detestable. Their practices and their angelic pedigree were so detestable in God's sight, he didn't want to just drive them out. He wanted to annihilate every one of them, to remove them totally from the face of the earth. They were vile. They were violent. They were pagan. They were sensual. They were sexually immoral. They were practicers of sodomy, bestiality, and homosexuality. They were directly connected both through lifestyle and genealogy to the angels that sinned. Some call them the seed of the serpent. The offspring that were cursed in Genesis 3, where God promised conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. That's a familiar phrase. If you remember what Jesus told the leaders of the temple in his day, he said, you are of your father the devil, and his works will you do. So we see that in the context of the the. The, the giants in the land during the days of Joshua and leading up to what the text that we read in the days of David. Total annihilation of the lineage of the giants did not happen in Joshua and Caleb's day. It didn't happen during the time of the judges who ruled Israel. And it didn't happen through Israel, first king Saul, but it was rather David and his mighty men of valor who pulled down the strongholds. And let me say it one more time. When you walk out of this house today, you're going to have this written on the tablet of your heart. Giants will fall if you believe. I'm going to keep putting that underscore with it. If you believe. Because you've got to wage our warfare by faith. So there was a famous battle that almost everybody, from our small children all the way to even people in the world who don't know much about the Scripture, that know about the battle of David and Goliath, Correct? 
But because of what we're now learning just a little bit here today in our understanding of giants, we got to go back and just look and glance at that famous battle one more time because it's broader and deeper than what you think. It's not just a shepherd boy and a giant so that we can have cool little stories to tell our children that when they're having a bad day at school, like little David, you can face your giant. It's not so that we can write movies or, you know, movie scripts and, and, and have football and so we can charge a football team to go out on the football field and you're just little football players and those are big players on the other side and you're like little David and you can fight the giant or it's not even like the Hoosiers when they prayed right before the final game in the, uh, you know, that famous movie that me and my family, I can quote much of it, you know, where they, they listed the little, you know, the, the little boys from Hickory fighting the, playing basketball against the, the big team from, uh, you know, the large city in Indiana. No, no, it's not about that. It's something much deeper. This is about a sinister plot of the adversary that has come to, to, to dethrone the people, to dethrone God's plan that's in the earth. And when we look at this through that lens, Goliath was the champion of Gath. He was possibly the king. He was a warrior king, and he was descended from the sons of Anak. He was of the descendants of Cush, he was, which was a descendant of Noah's son that was cursed, Ham. He was, this is who Goliath was. He was pagan. He was idolatrous. He was detestable in his lifestyle. He was possibly of the seed of the serpent. His body armor was scale-like male. He looked like a serpent on the, on the battlefield. And so he was uncircumcised, and he defied the armies of Israel when he cursed David by his gods. And so that's on one side of the valley. But on the other side is a young man, David. He's clothed only with faith, and his only weapons are a shepherd's sling and a staff. He's of the godly seed of Seth, and he's of the house and the seed of Abraham. He is circumcised, and he's in covenant with Yahweh God. He's been taught, and he understands the Torah. Did y'all know this? That the Bible says that David put his hand in a bag. If you look the word bag up, it means a script. And there are those that tell us that it was a script that the Hebrews, but with that, they would actually take leather, and before they would make it into a pouch, they would write a scripture on it. And so it's very possible that the day that David is getting ready to launch a stone that he's taken from the brook against the giant, the champion of Gath, when he opens the pouch up, he's reading the Word of God. That's why you hide the Word. Come on, somebody. That's why we look to the Word, because we need the Word of God against our giants. And so there's a script there, and he puts his hand in, and he retrieves a stone. David is a worshiper of Yahweh, the one true God. David is anointed with oil. David is filled with the Holy Spirit. David is submitted to authority, and he speaks the word of faith. Say, Pastor, wait, when did he speak the word of faith? On the battlefield, he looked at the giant that was causing Saul and all of his men to hide in the tent. And David said, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a shield. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And this day he will give you into my hand. And I will take your head from your shoulders, and I will feed your carcass to the fowl of the air. What was he saying that day? He was saying what Deuteronomy he said by the mouth of the prophet Moses the word of God he had a word not only in his script but he had it in his heart and he believed that if God said it come on now church friend why are y'all so quiet in this house today I'm telling you if God said it you can believe it God, God has promised it to his children giants will fall 
You don't have to live your life in fear. You don't have to bow under the pressures of the age, but you can live your life in faith because you know that God will not fail to keep the word that he's promised to you. David believed that giants will fall, and guess what? Giants fail. So that battle, let me tell you what was that battle. It was a battle more than just a giant and a shepherd. It was light versus darkness. It was the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. It was the seed of faith versus the seed of the serpent. It was obedience to the original command of Moses to de- destroy the detestable seed, the sons of Anak. He said this, who shall be able to stand? That's a good question. That's what Moses, Moses was, as people were saying, that who's going to be able to stand? You can say that. Who can stand? David could because he stood by faith and so can you. Now, I've got a little note before I take this and make this spiritual and make this particular to you in closing this message. But I love to share this just real quickly. It's just a little note. Did you know after the stone caused Goliath to fall forward on his face, he fell forward almost just like Dagon, his own god, had fallen before the ark when the ark was placed in the temple of Dagon earlier in the passage in 1 Samuel. But let me tell you, notice just real quickly, you've got to see this. David then took the giant's own sword and decapitated him. And there's a reason for that because some believe that the giant was descended from a particular giant named Rapha who had an angelic ability to self-heal or could heal very quickly. You see that in some of the movies today where superheroes take certain wounds and then their bodies recover. It is the belief by many that, this, that Goliath had the ability to self-heal very quickly. So David took his sword and decapitated him before he could recover from his wound. But notice this, David eventually took Goliath's head to Jerusalem where some say he buried it outside the city on a hill that would later be called Calvary because there the seed of the woman would have his feet pierced on a cross on that hill that you and I know as Golgotha, the face of the skull or the place of the skull, but he would there also bruise the head of the enemy under, come on now church family, that's good right there. So I'm telling you that what you read in 1 Samuel is more than just a little storybook. This is about the forces of darkness versus the forces of light, and light prevails every time when we believe. 2 Samuel 21 tells us it was David's mighty men submitted to David who finally annihilated the giants. And here's what I want, to, want you to see in closing. Giants are still present with us today. And they're not just in the obstacles of life. This is not a message akin to some that you might see on Christian television today where a giant is when you're going to Walmart and you can't get a parking spot close to the front. Now, that's not what this is about. This is about principalities and powers. This is about spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. This is about the rulers of the darkness of this world, strongholds. Let me tell you what our culture is inundated with. It's inundated with immorality. Sexual licentiousness, homosexual behavior, debauchery, and idolatry. And yet you and I don't wrestle with flesh and blood. I wrote it this way. David fought the giant and then destroyed the people. Our intent is to fight the giant and then deliver the people. 
Let me say that one more time. Y'all are getting restless out there. Hold on now. I'm about to bring it personal to you. David fought the giant and then destroyed the people. Our intent is to fight the giant and then deliver the people. We live in a generation of deliverance. We're told in the New Testament, as believers, we're to submit to God and resist the devil. We're told to give no place to the devil. We're told to not be ignorant of Satan's devices. We're told to cast out devils. We're told to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of... You say, Pastor, I thought being a Christian was just about being peaceful and quiet and passive. No, I'm telling you, it's about being bold. It's about being strong. It's about being full of faith. It's about recognizing that you're on a mission, the power of light versus the power of darkness. And every day you've got to be prepared what comes in front of you to do the will of God to speak the word of faith and to be strong in the Lord. It's about pulling down strongholds, trampling the enemy under your feet. It's about standing against, withstanding, and simply stand. When you don't know what else to do, you just simply stand. It's about discerning the spirits and redeeming the time. It's about somebody getting up and saying, my mama was bound by crystal meth and my father's in prison today, but as for me and my house, we're going to break that stronghold off of us in the name of Jesus and we're going to live life to the glory of God. It's about saying, you know what? I was an adulterer. I was a fornicator. I was into pornography. But then I found Jesus and the glorious blood of Christ made me whole and new. And now because he was more than a conqueror. Come on, somebody. I am his and I've got his strength and I'm going to live for God every day. And I'm going to teach my family and my children. how to, There are still giants in the land and we need men and women in the earth today that say, you know what? I am fit for the battle. I'm ready for the battle. It's not just David that took the giants down. That's what I wanted you to read. That's why I took you to 2 Samuel chapter 15. I wanted you to see it wasn't just David. And so we're going to take down the sons of Anak. So i got just some things to drop in your spirit. Say, Pastor, how? How can I face the giants in my life? Number one, you got to be anointed. Some of you don't know what to do. Get in the Bible and learn about it. So I don't know about it. Well, get in and study about it. It's to have the fresh fragrance, fragrance of a living God, His presence upon your life. It's to have the Spirit of God. David was anointed. Let me tell you, you can be appointed and not be anointed. There are pastors right here in our community that they've got all kinds of degrees on their wall. They've been appointed by leadership. Let me tell you, you can be appointed and not be anointed. When you're anointed, people around you know there is something distinctly different about you because of the Spirit of the living God in your life. It will set you apart. It's the anointing of God. David was set apart. He was anointed by the Spirit of God. Jesus said, if you're going to cast out devils, you've got to do it by the Spirit. You've got to be full of the Spirit of God for giants to fall. Pastor, I'm afraid of the people. Well, I'm sorry. You can hide in the tent with Saul if you want to, but I believe now is the time and now is the hour and we need little David in the battle for, filled with the, with the Word of God and full of faith, ready to live, God, live life for God and be all that God's called us to be. Number two, you've got to be submitted to spiritual authority. Oh, this is where two people just turn me off right now on Facebook Live. You've got to be submitted to spiritual authority. Listen to this. I'm going to say it whether you want to hear it or not. David's men were submitted to his authority. And therefore, Jace, they shared in his anointing. You know why some folk have been pastoring churches and don't have any anointing? Because they won't submit to spiritual authority in their life. I'm a submitted man. There are people over me that I connect to because there's an anointing in their life. And I want to share in that anointing. And then I've got folks under me that I want you to share in the anointing that's on my life. 
Listen, I'm not just radical on Sundays. I'm not talking about Leroy today. That's not what I'm here to talk about. But I want you to know, I don't just dance in front of you on Sunday. I walk out in the middle of my field and dance by the power and the presence of God because I want to make God famous in my life. He's done too much for me to be quiet. Whenever I've faced the giant, whenever we've had reports from the doctor, when we've had difficulties in our day, when I had my children and some issues in their life, I knew that I served a mighty God and I could lift up my voice and draw a sword and I could slay the giant because if David could do it, I could do it by the Spirit of God and so can you. So to the body, the pastors are submitted to Christ, the body submits to pastors and to breach spiritual authority is to breach the anointing. Number three, in the family. Why would I bring in the family? Because there's a lot of giants and strongholds in the family. We live in a broken generation. Let me tell you, the husband is and should be submitted to Christ. I'm spitting like an old Pentecostal preacher up here today. I know why now they put the seats back 12 feet. It's not for COVID. Husband is submitted to Christ. How many know that's the will of God? In the family unit, and I know there's a lot of different things defining the family, and they don't all look the same. Husband is intended by God to be submitted to Christ, and the wife is intended by God to be submitted to the husband. And then the children are intended by God to be submitted to the parents. And listen to this, all can share and walk in his anointing because it flows down. You can raise up a generation of children that have the anointing in their life. If dad will pillow his head on the bosom of Christ, and then if he'll pull mom beside him and care for her and love her as Christ loved the church, then the anointing that he got when he pillowed his head on the bosom of Jesus will flow onto his wife. Come on now. And then the children, man, I feel Jesus right there. That's how strongholds get broken. That's how enemies begin to fall. That's how life begins to be lived differently. That's how curses, generational curses, begin to be broken by the Spirit of God. Number four, there's only five I'm closer. The anointing flows from the head. You usurp authority, usurp authority, and disobedience to God's Word. It will breach the anointing. Here's what I meant to say. You can fight without the anointing, but you won't gain the victory. You can fight without it, but you won't gain the victory and you won't extend the kingdom of God. You've got to have the anointing of God on your life. Lastly, number five, to pull down strongholds, to take back heritage and spiritual territory, to give your family a future and to partake of the promises of God. It demands the anointing of God's spirit upon your life. Giants and the sons of giants were supernatural beings. Principalities and powers are supernatural beings. You cannot overcome supernatural beings by walking in the flesh. You can't do it. You must walk in the Spirit. Did y'all hear that today? That's why every day you get up and you say, God, let me die to me. Let me die to my fleshly appetite so that I can live for you, so that I can change every part of my life and I can submit it to you. How many know that's what being submitted unto God is? It's not just in a few areas. It's in all areas of your life. You submit fully to him. You gain the anointing of God upon your life. The weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but what are they? They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds because giants will fall. I close in chamber. I think we should close in song here today.
And we should ask people to just shout aloud with the voice of triumph in closing. I'll see what time it is. It is 11.16. You've been in church for an hour and 16 minutes in a power-packed moment. Come on, somebody. Giants will fall. You're not here by accident. You're not here. You're not here. You, 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 were, you got up this morning and said, why am I going to First Assembly of God? Why? I don't even know. Some of you are like, I don't even like some of those folks down there. But you came anyhow, right? Because God wanted you to be confronted with this message. And I'm challenging you today. There are giants in the land. There are principalities and powers. There's distorted, detestable practices. And there are strongholds even in your family. But they can fall before you if you have an anointing on your life. If you'll live every day with the strength and the power and the presence of the anointing of God. I wrote it this way in my concluding thoughts. I said, now is the time to become violent in the spirit. Can I say that one more time? Listen, it, we, we complain about what's happening in America, but very few of us get violent in the spirit and start pulling down strongholds. The failures of previous generations must be rectified. Somebody's got to break it. Can I get in your business? Somebody's got to get up and say, you know what? No, no, no enough's enough. We're going to live life differently. You know, we're not going to continue in this pattern of brokenness and dysfunction and discord. We're going to stop in this pattern where we bring in all this filth and this junk in our home. Come on now, you're trying to fight the devil while you sit in front of his tool so much and you watch all these movies filled with perversion and distortion. I'm telling you, it will, it will, it will grieve the spirit and you won't have the anointing. I said it anyhow and they ain't shouting me down because they're convicted. Let me say it one more time. I'm going to tell you, you got to guard your home. You got to guard what you're watching and listening to because it grieves the spirit. And when you need the anointing, the anointing's not there. You'll be like Samson. The spirit of God will have departed. You won't even know. And then the Philistines will come on you and you'll be overtaken. So you got to submit to the Lord. You got to believe his word. You got to walk in his anointing. You got to speak the truth in love. You got to deliver those who are in darkness and you advance the kingdom of God. Last word by the spirit of God, giants will fall. Won't y'all stand up with me today?